Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to take out a big chunk here, okay? <laughs> we've been walking through Stephen and walking through the message that he brought. And we've seen this even last week that uh, he was stoned to death. And all of a sudden, a big persecution spreads. Saul, who eventually became Paul, begins to persecute the church. Even going into homes, dragging men and women out, putting them in prison. And it wasn't just to be on trial, it was to put them to death. And in chapter 8 of Acts, verses 4 and following, we see how the church responds. I think it's an interesting question. How would we respond? How would we respond? What would we do? Would we abandon the faith? Would we walk away from what God has done for us? How would we stand? Obviously, in the context of the grace of Christ, God in us, causing us to stand. But would we submit to the Lord in the midst of it? Would we hold on to the hope that we have in Christ, the assurance that is ours? Three things this morning as we look at this. First of all, the proclamation of the gospel. The believers continued to proclaim the gospel. What a beautiful picture. Secondly, Samaritans were saved, and so there was the provision of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we have a very interesting context here because we have Simon the Sorcerer. Have you ever heard of Simon? Interesting guy. We have presumptuous thinking on his part. We're going to walk through that. Was Simon a believer? Was he just a carnal guy who professed Christ, went through the motions, but really didn't know the Lord? It's a fascinating question. But first, let me just summarize it this way, because for us, I think this text is very essential. There's so many different things in this text. Believers must be careful to live according to the gospel of grace, not getting caught up in worldly, fleshly thinking. We see this everywhere. How do we follow God? Getting from point A to point B. Achieving what God has commanded us to achieve. How do we do that? How do we walk in that? Do we use the principles of the world to accomplish the things of God and then put a stamp of approval on it? Or do we begin to walk with the Lord in a transformed way where we understand that it's by God's grace. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. It's God's power in and through us. It's the testimony of the saints that God is at work in our hearts and that God is constantly seeking to draw us closer to himself and that through us will reveal his life. God takes care of the fruit. God takes care of the numbers. Are we like Simon where we are trying to accomplish maybe something that's good but we're doing it in a fleshly, carnal way? Or are we learning to trust the Lord, walking with him and watching him not only change us from the inside out, but also reveal himself through us, not only with one another and the way we treat one another, but also into the community of unbelievers who have no hope and are without God in this world. Fascinating story. Well, the believers are scattered In verse 4, they begin to proclaim the gospel. They continue to proclaim the gospel. It says, therefore, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. Preaching the word. It's an interesting statement there. It literally has the idea of proclaiming the good news. 
evangelizing the word. They were sharing the story of the word and they were letting people know about salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. But they were scattered. They were dispersed from Jerusalem on. This context here is Samaria. The idea of being scattered has simply the idea of seed being scattered, sown. They continued, even though they were being scattered, even though they were having to leave Jerusalem because of the persecution, they continued to preach, to proclaim the gospel. Philip, we met him because he was one of the seven that were chosen in order to help the widows. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and the reason it says going down is because Jerusalem is higher in elevation. It wasn't that he was going south or north or east or west, that he was going from a higher elevation to a lower elevation. For those of you who study this thing and go, what in the world does it say going down for? That's free. You can look up in the Bible stuff. People say, well, the Bible's wrong because it says he was going down and Samaria was actually north of, oh, for heaven's sakes. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The word proclaiming there literally means to herald or preach. Preaching the word, evangelization, heralding, preaching Christ. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. You know, it's interesting because as we look at this and as we see how the persecuted church responds, what we learn is that they were proclaiming the gospel. They were preaching the word. They were proclaiming, preaching Christ Later on in verse 12, we see that Philip preached the good news about what? About the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. He was proclaiming to them salvation. Not through a series of laws, not through an institutionalized religion, but rather through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is very simple. It is that Jesus Christ left heaven, came to this earth, went to the cross and shed his blood so that we might have our sins forgiven. And the grave couldn't hold him, but rather he resurrected on the third day and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel. And the gospel is not only for unbelievers, folks, but catch this, it is for believers. And if we don't understand that, then as David Putman said a couple weeks ago in our leadership time together, If we don't have a right definition of the gospel, we will not have a right definition of what discipleship means, and we will not have a right definition of the church. Because if we think that the gospel is simply for the lost, then we do not have a right perspective of discipleship, and we do not understand why we're even here. We need the gospel. Yes, unbelievers need the gospel. Because we need to bring people to the cross. But we also need to teach people to observe all that the Lord said. And the gospel is a gospel of grace, and it is a gospel of good news with regard to how to come to Christ. It is a gospel of good news now for believers as to how to walk with Christ. They were preaching the word. They were preaching Christ. 
They were preaching the good news about the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. Healing was taking place. Demons were being cast out. There was much joy. It reminds me of the Lord's response to John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was in prison. Herod had put him there. And John was a little concerned. And he sent his disciples to the Lord to ask the Lord, are you really the one? Can you imagine John asking that? Kind of gives me hope. Anybody struggle with doubt every once in a while? I mean, if John struggled with doubt, praise God. I mean, I'm not alone in this. Every once in a while, I look up and go, Lord, is that, is, was that really you? Is that really what you wanted? Is that really where you're leading? Is that really the deal? What's the deal? What did the Lord say to him? Yes, I am the Christ. No. The Lord demanded faith of John just like he demands faith of us. And in Luke, he makes it very clear. <laughs> Luke chapter 7, verses 22 and following, he answers and says to them, these are the disciples that had come, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he says this, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. The word offense means to trip, to stumble over me. Do you realize that the cross is called an offense. It's a tripping point. And what he's saying to these disciples and he's communicating to John is the kingdom of God is at hand. Look what God is doing and believe that I'm the one that has been sent as the Messiah, as the Christ. Don't trip over me. The Samaritans clearly were not tripping over Christ. Many of them believed and were being baptized or saved. Let me ask you something this morning. Have you tripped over Christ? Have you tripped over him this morning? Do you know that you know that you know that you know where your eternity is going to be spent? Do you know Christ? Have you received him? You've heard the gospel message all through this service, whether it's in the testimonies of those being baptized, whether it's in the singing, whether it's in the Ukrainian report, you've heard the gospel. Let me ask you something. Are you willing to respond to the gospel, to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is all about him and what he's done for us? Are you stuck in some religious context that you think there's something that you can do for God? Or do you simply come before the Lord Say, Lord, you went to the cross for me, and I need you. The Samaritans believed. The Christians were proclaiming the gospel. What's interesting, and I I want to challenge you in this, the first 10 chapters of Acts is a historical narrative. It is a transition time. Be careful of what doctrine you draw out of this. Some Pentecostals and Charismatics want to want to go back to Pentecost. They want to go back to this point with the Samaritans. They even want to go back to the point of Cornelius, the Gentile who received Christ, and Peter laid hands on him, and then he received the Holy Spirit. And they want to use that in the context of somehow that there's a second blessing. In other words, we didn't get everything of the Holy Spirit that there is to get. That is just absolutely not taught in the Word of God at all. This is a transition time. So the pattern here is believing in the word of God, which is equal to salvation, receiving Christ, being baptized as a testimony of that, and then the apostles coming and laying hands, praying for the reception of the Holy Spirit. 
After Acts chapter 10, we see the pattern that we have to this day, which is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving immediately the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then we're baptized as a testimony on the external of what God has done inside of us already. The Samaritans believed And then they were baptized, and then they called Peter and John to come and pray for them, pray to the Lord that they would receive the Holy Spirit. The first thing that we're told in verse 9 is about Simon. Interesting character. There was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great, and they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. (laughs) What's that great or what? Man, take that headline and put it into today's vernacular, right? They were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. What do we know? He was practicing magic. Folks, that's not the pull the dove out of the hat thing. That's not the scarf coming out of the sleeve. This is sorcery. This is divination. This is fortune telling, forth telling. This is demonic. We're not talking about magic in terms of a kid's uh, birthday party. We're talking about sorcery where he is literally facilitating demonic elements within what he's doing. It's evil. It's wicked. He's claiming to be someone great. He's called the great power of God. What a limited view of God that is. And he's astonishing the people with his magic arts. What was the Samaritan's focus in this? I think there's something really rich in looking at this because I think it's a good flag for us as believers. Verse 9, it says he was astonishing the people. Verse 10, giving their attention to him. Verse 11, giving him attention and astonishing them. Folks, when we lift up a man and we are giving attention to that man and we are astonished by that man and we begin to call that man the great power of God and we are enamored with that man and we aren't even thinking about God, then we better take a few steps back and we better listen to whatever that man has to say. Because any true man of God is always going to deflect attention from himself and point it to the one who deserves all attention, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In our day and age, we lift up personality and performance. We love the rock star. And folks, I want to tell you something. We better be wise about this. We're in the end times. There's a lot of people out there who are preaching a false gospel We need to make sure that we're paying attention to the Lord. You know, Sparrow said something to me one time, and I've never forgot. It's become the theme for my life in many, many ways. Without going to all the details about it, he said, Eric, he said, I want to sit down. I want to teach you the word of God so that when people hear you preach, they don't leave saying, what a great preacher Eric is. They leave saying, what a great God we have. That's the point. It's not about me. It's not about a speaker. Simon was putting himself before people as if he was somebody. And he's not. God is the focus. 
Beware of that. Verse 12, we're told that the Samaritans, including Simon, believed. When they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Look at the language of this. Even Simon himself believed. Folks, don't lose sight of that. Luke is very specific here. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Belief is simply being persuaded that what God has said is true. What God has said is true. God speaking through Philip, proclaiming the gospel of grace, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, is proclaiming salvation in Christ alone, and believing in that is simply agreeing and acknowledging that what God has said concerning our state and our need of a Savior is true. Do you believe? The Samaritans, and including Simon, believed. Even Simon himself believed. The second thing we see is that the apostles, of which Peter and John are part, send Peter and John in order to come to Samaria to be with these believers and to pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that's paramount to salvation. When you receive the word of God, it's indicative of the fact that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. It's salvation. They sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are sent as ambassadors of the apostles from Jerusalem. Why? To pray for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Briefly, there's some historical context here. The Samaritans had separated themselves from Jerusalem. They had created their own temple. They didn't go to Jerusalem like they were supposed to in order to worship. They were hated by the Jews because they, the Samaritans, were half-breeds. The Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom, repopulated that area with Gentiles from all over the known world. And and some of the Jews at that point had married some of these Gentiles. And the Samaritans were half-breeds as a result. And And the Jews from Jerusalem, from the southern kingdom, couldn't stand them. Well, the Lord knows this. And so I think part of Peter and John coming is clearly to help establish apostolic authority. It's also clearly to establish that the church has started in Jerusalem. It's to eliminate any division that might take place between not only the religious beliefs, but also the beliefs that existed as a result of their race. So Peter and John come as Jews, as apostles, more importantly in this sense, as believers in order to pray that the Lord would send the Holy Spirit upon the Samaritan believers and so eliminate any type of division, any type of disunity. Well, it's interesting. What does Simon do? Simon's watching this, right? He's with Philip and he's watching how this takes place. He's seeing what's going on. 
When Simon saw that the spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offers them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. That is some fleshly thinking, isn't it? Does that mean that Simon doesn't know Christ? Are we going to set the standard for salvation as a believer has to be perfect? Are we going to say that a believer can never sin, and if they do sin, that we're immediately going to question the authenticity of their salvation experience as a result? I think we have to change the context here if we're going to do that. We also then put ourselves in a very precarious position because I can guarantee you, including myself, there's not one person here that doesn't continue to struggle with fleshly thinking. We even try to get things done for God in the way that we think that we're supposed to do it, which is not really that much different than what Simon was doing here. He didn't necessarily ask for a bad thing. Hey, let's make sure that the Holy Spirit comes on on these people. I, I want that power too. That wasn't necessarily a bad thing to ask for. It's just the way he wanted to go about it was ridiculous because it showed that he didn't understand, first of all, that the apostles didn't have the power in and of themselves. They had prayed and asked the Lord to do this. The Lord's the one that accomplishes this. I think it's important to understand that we've got to be careful in our day and age that we don't try to get things done for God in a fleshly way. We have to follow the Lord by faith. We have to walk with him and trust him with how he leads and guides, how he's transforming us internally as well as with one another and then trust him with the results of that. Clearly, Simon was influenced by his past. Sanctification is a process. Amen? Anybody arrived yet? I don't think so, right? Me standing here most of all. None of us have arrived. One day we'll see the Lord face to face. We're going to be changed to be like him. I think it's important to understand several things. Luke absolutely makes clear in verse 13 that even Simon himself believed. There was no distinction made between the Samaritan believers and Simon. None. Secondly, Peter goes on and in verse 20, he says to him very specifically, may your silver perish with you. Now that's temporary. That's punishment. We're not talking about eternal separation from God here. Eternal perishing, if you will. We're talking about temporary punishment, the way the Lord disciplines. We've already seen Ananias and Sapphira, and I have no doubt that Peter had that in his mind. Here's another guy who is looking at money absolutely incorrectly, fleshly, carnal, and Peter is warning this individual as an apostle, as a leader within the church. Verse 21, Peter says, you have no part or portion in this matter. He's speaking to Simon as a believer with regard to his inheritance. He's not talking about the foundation or salvation that has already been settled and is a done deal in Christ. He's talking about his walk with the Lord. Therefore, what does he say to do? Repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Folks, listen to the language of this. If possible, does salvation and coming to Christ have any clause in it that has an if possibility to it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you may be saved. No. 1 John 1.9 says what? If 
suppositional. We confess if we agree with the Lord about our sins. What is he faithful to do? He's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If possible here is not so much the forgiveness of the Lord. That's available. The if possible is, Simon, do you get what you've done? Do you understand the wickedness and the, the thinking that is carnal concerning money and the power of God? And are you willing to repent of it? Change your mind about it. Verse 23, he says, I see that you're in the gall of bitterness <laughs> and in the bondage of iniquity. Really, that technically should read that you are moving towards, you're destined to the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. In other words, if you keep thinking this way, Simon, you are going to be enslaved by sin. It's a warning. Stop going that way. Repent of it. Change your mind. Take a 180 degree to turn and go back this way. I think Simon's response in verse 24 is awesome. He asks the apostle Peter to pray on his behalf. What does this show? It shows a heart willing to repent. It shows respect for the apostle, which is why Peter and John were there in the first place. It became a role model undoubtedly to the believers that were there. It shows humility. He started out, he doesn't have a clue what he's even saying. And by asking Peter to pray for him, he acknowledges that. And in effect, what he's saying to Peter is, I I don't know how to pray. Would you pray for me? You're an apostle. I'm going to submit to your authority. I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. St. Hodges puts it this way, Simon brings into Christian life, as so many do, the erroneous outlook of his past. Doubtless money could in the past have secured the exercise of his powers, hence he had it to offer, and he thought it could secure God's. The sharpness of Peter was designed to bring him to repentance, and it did. Beautiful. Verse 25, when they solemnly testified and spoke the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem, speaking of Peter and John, and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Folks, as believers, we need to be careful to walk according to the gospel of God's grace. As believers, we need to be careful to walk according to the gospel of God's grace and not follow God with carnal, fleshly thinking. We follow God on his terms. He's the Lord. We walk with him in his ways. He's the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.